Mm, come on. Just loading up. Good evening, and welcome to another Fishing Friday, number blah, 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 blah. I've got no idea what number it is anymore. This is a casual thing. This is nice to actually slow down, really. It's really nice to just <clears throat> take a moment. The rest of the week feels like the gig. This feels like, you know, this feels like an intermission. So, look at the feeds, look at the feeds, look at the feeds. Stephen Vermeer, where are we, where are we, where are we? Just getting a hold of this again. Just grabbing a hold of the feed, just grabbing a hold of it. It's like catching a large eel. Sean Mitchell, I love Liverpool, Christy Sheffield, Darren Wells, Stevie Welsh, Roger Bowden. Sue Clark, David Day, Arnold Meese, Tim Burman. How's the chilies? Doing really good. It's getting towards harvest time. More about that later. Paul Marsala, good, good. Chris Ball, Dan Davis, Andrew Lynham, Neil Quarrell, Steve Jones, Alan Coppelson, Stevani Vermit, Chico Naturni, Mao Chao, Mao Salvador, Salvadori, Barry Kitchen, David Richardson. Hello. If it's me, David. Yes, it is me, David. Hope you do well, mate. Joseph Rodriguez from New Jersey, Ronnie McLeod for Dundee, Sean Holiday for Cumbria, Derek Wilson from Torquay, Devon, Robert Walker from Cambridge, Andrew Musket, Good Evening Fish and Simon Farquhar, of course, enjoying this massive positive publicity play album. <sighs> Mental does not even get close to what it's been like this last week. It's just been... Full on, absolutely full on. Um, to give a little, I mean, last night, as uh, we were working all day in the office, and um, our, our the, the cabin mice, um, our four little urchins, Fagin's urchins that we had imprisoned in the cabin for a week and a half, dealing with the mail order, their services were no longer required. And it wasn't because they were fired, it was because the mountain has been moved and we're now in the foothills, very much in the foothills. And they did an amazing job. Um, Liam, um, Jamie and Adam and uh, Jonathan were spectacular. They, they were incredible. A lot of curries, a lot of pizza and um, um, lots of whipping. <laughs> Got to whip the crew to ship, you know. But they did an amazing job. They did an incredible job. And um, we flipped it. And I want to say, first and foremost, thank you for your patience on this. I think a lot of you, most of you, nearly all of you, understood kind of the kind of pressure we were under. And Simona, in particular, she's not actually round about at the moment, but uh, she did an absolutely incredible job. And 
her dedication to this has been, yeah, it's her birthday next week, so, well, and on the 19th, so it's, it's a good special wee day, and it's her anniversary as well coming up, so uh, I've got to try and do something special. But yeah, I mean, it was, it was nuts, I mean, it was like, <laughs> oh, and a night in the fishy household, there we were. We watched a, a wee bit of TV. We took 80 minutes off and watched a couple of episodes of Brave New World, which is kind of, it's our little, it's our, our, our little addiction at the moment is uh, Brave New World, which is, in, it's, it's really good. I like it. It's, um, there's a couple of good acting roles in, in there. And um, so we're watching that. So we watched two episodes of that last night. And then we were packing and I'm, <laughs> I'm sitting on the couch, you know, it's not knitting or anything like that. Dad reads the newspaper and mum's knitting. No. I was sitting on this side of the couch and I was basically, I was packing vinyl for all the way from seven o'clock till I think it was eight o'clock when we took the break. And um, if I passed that. So I was, I was actually packaging vinyl, Velchman's vinyls, right? I'm putting away. And then Simona joined me and she was sitting on the couch and she was packaging up mixed packages and stuff. And then I switched across and I was doing the Velchman's and Feast. Just a couple of old people, you know what I'm saying? Wow, <laughs> putting packaging together. That's you doing an evening in front of the fire. <laughs> but that's what it's been like the whole week. It's been absolutely nuts. And, uh, you know, as I said, I mean, Simona would taking the orders and, you know, the, the, the cabin mice through here are working away. And, you know, now it's through there dealing with customers' questions. I don't need anything from Dobies. Bear root fruit is out. Um... Yeah, so it was. It's been kind of. It's been kind of nuts, and uh, it's we've 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 just have cracked it. It's um, you know, I was dealing with a lot of the the. the well, I say a lot of the damage. I was dealing with the damaged vinyls. Well, not the vinyls, but it's the gatefolds. We're up to account now, which isn't bad, I suppose. If you look in the the overall thing, where I think we've done something in the region of two thousand. 2,000, over 2,000 vinyls, 2,200 vinyls, which is brilliant and it's a problem. Um, it's brilliant because the sales are great. It's a problem because seemingly there's a world kind of, everybody's buying vinyl. And, um, you know, when we did Feast, it was easy, easy peasy. And it was, um, you could order it and you could get it in about a month, right? Um, six weeks top. And I can't replace any Veltschmidt's vinyl. I, we can't get any stock in, any new stock in until the end of January, which is worrying me because it's the end of January and the end of January is Brexit time. And that's when there could be lorries a go-go at the port. I mean, you know, they make um, Dunkirk look like a Loch Lomond picnic. It's... Uh, it's going to be a kind of strange time. So anyway, I can't get vinyl until the end of January, and uh, I've just, I just did not expect to to, to sell as as much as it did. You know, it's it's been really strange, and um, but I've been having to deal with it. And this is the really annoying part because it's like we've been sending these vinyls out, and I mentioned last last week it was uh, we started getting the vinyls back, and I showed you with the damage at the top of the vinyl. So we'll be, I've been sending out, and all the guys have actually got the replacement sleeves, because I didn't want to send the vinyl out with the sleeve again, because in case the same thing happened. So we just sent out the sleeve and fragile, do not bend, do not bend, fragile. 
And um, I just hope they all get there and, and, and they're on, on peace. But the problem is, with the 20 vinyls or so that, that we've had to re replace the sleeves off, that's 20 vinyls that I don't have to sell here because I've had to take the sleeves off. So if anybody wants the discs, right? Lots of discs. Um, but yeah, it's, and I wrote, a, I wrote a letter to the guy who, who, who deals with my stuff at Royal Mail or, or our stuff at Royal Mail, and I just said, you know, it's unacceptable. It's like this damage, it's like the packages are fine. It's like the way it's been treated and thrown around. That's what's causing the damage. So, but it's a pain in the ass, but I mean, you know. So I, I was dealing with that. So anybody that's got their gatefold, I did it myself last Sunday because we spent the entire weekend working on, we got an okay to, to, to work with Royal Mail so we could actually package and put the stickers on on the weekend. And so they all went on the Monday. Was, um, we thought that we couldn't do anything. All we could do was package, but they let us put the stickers on, which meant on Monday we got a lot out. But you know, someone and I were working, you know, with a cabin mice um, all weekend, last weekend, packing away, and, and and again, as I said, dealing with all the bits and pieces that kind of surround it all. It's, um, and it was highly stressful, so highly stressful <laughs> that moi, right? Uh, I got very, very angry and I punched the plasterboard wall out. Um, it's kind of, I do it very, 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 very rarely and I'm never proud of myself when I do it, but, you know, it's just, I, I lost it. I just punched a hole in the plasterboard wall, which leads us on to another story. <laughs> Victor Charlie, VC. Um, so we're packaging and we've got all this stuff going on and the place is full of cardboard and everything's kind of happening. And, uh, the other night, we, someone and I went through bed. It was about 12 o'clock, just after we'd done our CNN Trump time. And um, we went to bed and I had the scratching. I was like... And I'm going, well, what's that? And I'm going, it's, it's something outside. And because we're in our bedroom, we've got this open window and there's, there's bird feeders. And I know there's, there's kind of... There's a lot of seed, and I've seen them. There's some mice outside, and we let the we let the outside ones go, and they found a wee hole in the in this bit of curved wall that's that's through the back there, and um, it's uh, they're really cute. It was I was sitting in the kitchen one day, and I, you know, I just caught that you know like when you catch that movement inside your eye, it was like, Phew. and I went, was that a mouse? And of course, the first your first thing is, shit, it's a rat, you know, mice I can kind of handle, rats. <clears throat> Good rat story coming up later on, right? So, I'm in the kitchen and I'm looking at the wee hole and this little brick wall. It's, it's this little curved wall. I found all these bricks in the garden when I was uh, when we were actually making the garden uh, and we were kind of constructing the area out there. And I found these kind of slightly curved bricks and they were beautiful. I didn't want to throw them away. And uh, they were obviously from having made a chimney or something like that. And, uh, so the very first thing I ever built with bricks, in fact, I'll show you. I'll show you, it's out here. I'm gonna go out the light, I'm gonna go into the darkness now. So we walk through here. The kitchen, it's brilliant out there now. It's really getting autumnal. But yeah. So this is where it's at. This is the kind of, this is the kitchen. I don't think I've taken you out here before. This is the view from the kitchen garden. Roses that uh, someone looks after. 
that big one at the front, uh, my daughter bought me, I think it was for my 50th birthday. I think it was. And they're beautiful. I'm really proud to see we've got a perpetual spinaches there and I've got, um, what are they called? Um, radishes. I've actually planted radishes and some lettuce and the radishes are already coming through. Those are onions. They were, I was in gardeners world last week. Um, these onions, so wanted to plant from tops. So she actually, you know, took the bulb off and then stuck the top in the ground and they've all grown. They're, they're spring onions. That's all um, Japanese salads that can last all through the winter so we can eat the leaves. My fig tree is just starting to go a beautiful yellow. And I think I told you, <clears throat> that fig tree came on a tour bus all the way from Prattle. I bought it in a garden centre uh, just up from the gig, up from the, the what was it, the Z7. And that's our greenhouse. And that bit there, if you see that little hole in the wall, that curved brick, I built that curved brick wall. Like I said, myself, first, I was so proud of doing that. Never, ever used concrete and made a brick wall before. It was my very first one that I did in about 2002, I think, one, two. And that little hole there, I was sitting in the kitchen and I was just watching these mice just traipse down the wall. And then it kind of, they just bounced down and just go across. And then there was like a wee queue of them. It was, and there was, it was really tiny baby ones. But that, that's the arch. Now that's going to lead us on to Manchmal later on because at my last count, Manchmal was just ahead, right? But the thing is, my wife got the casting vote and because she's been doing so great, she gets Manchmal this week. But that archway and that rose and everything comes, comes into Manchmal. But that's kind of where our bedroom is. And that was where I was hearing all the noises. So we're lying in bed and we're hearing all these scratching noises, right? And, uh, and I'm going, oh, Jesus, you know, it's like, and it sounded big, right? It, I mean, it, it was either, it was either a mouse with very, very big claws, or it was a rat, right? And it was like, and I was going like, fuck me, it was a rat. No, right? And of course, there's a hole in the plasterboard where I punched it out last Friday night. Not because of like the performance here or anything to do with that. It was just, I was just raging at night. So a couple of things hit us at night and it was, I knew it was going to, it got me mad, went nuts and had a couple of wings and it was like, bam, you know. So I punched a hole in it. So I'm in the room and there's someone in the wall and there's a hole in the wall and we're in bed, right? And I'm going, oh Christ. And you know, you can't sleep, you know. It's like there's one thing, you know, having someone in the wall, crawling about in the wall, but if there's a hole in the wall and someone crawling about in the wall, right? You don't sleep right, do you? So, I ended up running around and I eventually found a great big thing and I've got the gaffer tape out and I'm, I'm following the hole and I'm still trying to work out what it is. And I went up and I banged where this thing was in the wall and I hit the wall and it's like, da -da. and I went, and it all went quiet and we went to bed again, right? And then we woke up. And the thing's up above the French doors, right? And it's up in the French doors, and you know, And this was going on for ages. And of course, the vice, um, vice presidential broadcast was on, right? So I came through and I watched a bit of CNN, right? And, um, cause I couldn't do, I couldn't deal with it at all, right? 
And then I went back through and then I went over the torch and then I saw all this slot. Go away, Dobies, I don't want bare root fruit. So I went outside and I had the torch and then you see all the slugs. We've got a massive slugs. I'll take a photograph and put Facebook this week. It was a massive slugs all around the bottom of the bird feeder, right? And this was the thing. It's like the bird feeders, like no matter, birds are just so untidy, right? Never clean up after themselves. The place is all covered in seeds, so all the slugs go out to the seed, right? And it's, it's, it's pretty horrendous. It's very Stephen King, right, at night when you walk out. And I, remember, I, I actually walked out of my bare feet the other day. I didn't even, because I've got problems with my nerves and my bottom of my feet because of sepsis shit, right? I can't feel it. And I stood in a slug, and I went in the bathroom, and I was like, well, now did that slug get in here? <laughs> it's on my feet. Anyway... There's the slugs and there's like the, the wheat seed out there, right? And the wheat seed attracts the rats and stuff and the vermin. It's like, and it's, they really are, unless you go about and hoover it up every day after the mucky wee feathery bastards, right? It's like, you know, they're there. So I'm thinking maybe the mouse or the vermin or the rat or whatever, right, has come through a hole in the wall at our bedroom and gone in that way, right? So I'm down there, I'm out there with a the light shining out. It's about two o'clock in the bloody morning. I mean, like, going a bit up, and there's ivy and stuff, and there's the archway. I'm going, like, oh. Went back to bed. Just got my head off. <laughs> the whole night, right? So I just ended up, I was banging it. And actually, I think I drove it away by by just punching, not punching the wall, but hitting the wall really hard. I'd already punched the wall and screwed it up. But it was holed up now. So we went to bed knowing that the thing, or whatever it is, this monster, right, couldn't get to us, right? So... And I knew Liam had complained before about um, hearing sounds. And every morning at about six o'clock in the morning, right, you actually hear the squirrels come across. They all wear boots. Like, you know, coming across the roof. And they all head down to the feeders and this is the stuff that's here. That and burying the nuts in the garden and shit. So, I know Liam's got a problem. And I'm going, wait a minute, it's all in the flat roof area. So it's like, I think the vermin are coming along there. And right, by this point, be me, I've already got a name for them, right? Charlie, right? The rat, if it's a rat, it's Charlie, right? It's Vermin Charlie VC, right? VC. So we've got Charlie inside the perimeter, right? And when I was through in the control room, which is where my office is, right, I'd always smell a couple of bits and pieces. Yeah, you know, there's that smell you get in a zoo, and I always think I'm going mad. Because it's like in the morning, you go through, you go, it smells like a zoo here, right? And then you come back in and it's gone. And I don't know what it is, right? So I'm going, shit. And above the control room, above my desk, there's an old part of the roof from the original building that was there pre-91 when I built the studio. And it's got the original rafters in. And I've always been a bit suspect because there's a couple of holes and stuff. And, like, and, it's, and I'd gone up way back then and put all this felted material down. And I'm going, that's where the bastards are. So, anyway, so we know Charlie's inside the perimeter. We've got to get him, right? So, the next day the rab came up. Oh, yeah, and that's the other thing. And I'd been out outside in the garden, and I'd, been, I'd gone out to get one of the buckets of tatties, right? And I was growing tatties against the wall. For those of you who watch the Funny Farm Kitchen Garden, you know where that is. But up against the wall, there was these kind of tubs of tatties. And I was emptying them out because the, when the, the cabin mice were here for dinner, so I, I pulled up the, the thing, right? And I went, hmm. And then I went to, to stand on the ground to move it. And my foot went down through the, through the ground. 
and there was a bloody tunnel, right? The VC are in the tunnel, right? So they've got a tunnel going along outside the house, right? And this is like, this is getting like the tunnels of Coochie now outside Saigon, you know? So there's a tunnel. So there's rats in there. So Rab comes up. I said, we've got to sort this out. So we have got, we have got rat traps and mouse traps around a lot of the places. In the it's, we live in the country. Shit happens. But I don't want rats, right? And um, so anyway, so Rab comes up the next day. So like, bam, bam, bam. We've got a bunch of rat poison up there. So rat poison down the, down the, the tunnel, right? We go to the hole in the wall. We take the, the bit of cardboard off the wall with a gaffer tape. We throw a bunch of poison down there. You know, like, you know, fire in the hole. <laughs> you know, gaffer taped up again. And then Rab went up, we, we got a rat trap, and Rab put a, 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 a not a trap, but a poison thing, because we poison them, there's no point in catching the damn things. You know, it's gonna be a week, a bit of moldy smell, but like, you know, it's dead, right? So there's a rat trap we put up in the in the attic, right? Next day we come back, Victor Charlie's eating all the poison out the tunnel, right? That's all gone, right? But Right, the previous night, one of the things we'd done, I'd remembered I'd bought a sonic repellent thing that we tried to put in the garage, but it didn't work in the, the plug holes for whatever reason. So I brought that in and put it in my bedroom. So in our bedroom last night, everyone was quiet, right? But when I was through in the control room last night, right? Victor Charlie's up in the ceiling, right? Up and above my head, and it's like I'm going, this explains everything. We got, Charlie's up on the roof, right? So, this morning, come down, our bedroom was quiet last night. All the bait was, re was replaced this morning when we found out that the VC had eaten it all, right? And we went up into the eye because I'd heard the scratching last night, you know? And, um, and it was there, and, and basically, the trap, they put a nest inside the goddamn trap, right? We said, what kind of sick things are these, right? They built a nest next to the poison, or maybe they were trying to block the hole, you know, stop the other mice or rats getting in anyway. But anyway, it's been nibbled. So, so we don't know what it is. We don't know whether it's kind of, well, we don't know what kind of Viet Cong elements or VC elements that's involved with this. Is it rats or is it mice, right? But we're at war with them right now, right? It ain't gonna go on. But, so that was a VC. So that was one of the stories and, and, The American fridge freezer, it went down, right? So when the guy came up, uh, he actually came up last Friday, so and we had to get another appointment. So we had to defrost the American fridge freezer, which meant taking all the stuff out, 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 out freezer stuff at the garage and go ski. <laughs> so by then, it's only two days, we've ever eaten it all now. <laughs> what an excuse to let go, indulge yourself. So, and of course, and I'm going like, <laughs> and I'm going like, after, it was a 40 hour defrost, and after, just as we get into the end of the second day, like, I'm going like, you know, it's funny, you know, we don't have, we just have a freezer, we don't have a fridge, and I went, the wine cooler! <laughs> I completely forgot, we've got a wee wine cooler thing, so like, all the butter and everything was in there, shoved in there, so. But yeah, so the American fridge freezer went down, Right, that's never been repaired, everything's all dandy, and you just forget, you know, how much you can uh, use a fridge and rely on a fridge these days. And you go, how did we used to do that, you know? We're back in the old days, you know? But anyway, so, American fridge freezer went down, we got VC inside the perimeter, uh, the cooker, the cooker, right? 
the tap thing, which is brilliant. I love it, right? So it's decided to start doing playing up and stuff. And now when you make a cup of tea, it's like it's, it's kind of like a torture event. So you put the cup up and it's like suddenly boil, this near boiling water is like splitting all the place. So I phoned them up, right? <laughs> so I filled in all the forms, right? The guy that built, that did put the tap in for me in Gullen doesn't do servicing, right? He just installs. So I've got to get in touch with Kuka. 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 Q-U-O-O-K-E-R. Kuka. Right? And of course it's a Dutch word, isn't it? Right? So... The form goes in, what's your tat, what's your serial number, blah, 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 fill in the form, you know that one, you know when you screw up and put the wrong country in. <laughs> no, I got it right. But, so I end up, the next day, this American-sounding woman comes on the phone, right? She's obviously a, a young woman, right? And I said, hello, how are, you, how are you doing? Like, you know, blah, 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 you phoned up. And it was like that, you know, that... Um, Stepford wife's kind of vibey thing, and you know, no personality. You know, it was just like, hi there, how are you doing? And I'm going, hi, so da, 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 I've got a problem. What's your problem? I've already written it all down, but this is the problem. Uh, can you explain it? I've just explained it to you, right? And I'm, I'm kind of going, mm -hmm, right? You know that one, mm -hmm, right? And the voice is starting. Just, is, is, anyway, so. I said, look, I said, I'd really like to get somebody out of here. And it's straight on to the money. It's like, you know, well, it's going to cost you 150 quid. And I went, as you do, I went, fuck's sake. <laughs> and she went, and she went, pardon, sir. And you knew, you knew right away. It was like, you're being abusive and your call was going to get blocked and you're never going to be able to speak to Cooker again, right? I went, somebody else, talking to somebody else in the room. <laughs> 150 quid. For an engineer to come out, right? So for a tap. <laughs> so and at least I'm kibosh because I'm gonna have to phone him up again and try and get it sorted out because there seems to be nobody does quoker taps ever seen anywhere nearby. You can't find it. You just go on a quoker on the Google thing and it just goes it just sends you into YouTube how to do this, how to install this. This is what it means, this is what it does for you. But you you know, and of course the other thing the, the, the kind of American sounding Dutch lassie. I don't. I mean, I don't even know whether you what she was, but anyway, it was like you kind of, you know, <laughs> the first thing you hear is like you know, your tap is out of warranty. It's like I know that, I know that. <laughs> your tap is out of warranty. It's going to cost you one hundred and fifty quid. So this is. I don't know whether it's this thing where you know you get wrapped into it. You can't find. You know, you can find another fridge engineer. You don't have to go to the company. You can find somebody locally that does a TV, you know? And it's, uh, but it's like, it seems like with Cooker, you're kind of locked, in, locked into Cooker. <laughs> it's a great tab, though. I love it. It's brilliant. But it's, uh, but it's going to be strange. Anyway, let's go back to the timeline. Jose Luis Abajo Garcia from Madrid. Pepe Campos from Mexico. Simon Harvey. Wayne Balji, yeah, things seem to happen in threes. No, no here, mate. They happen in fives. Right. Sugar Bites, Chocolate Frog, Charlie the Rat. Yeah. Charlie, don't surf. <laughs> That's why the pond switched off. <laughs> uh, Rebricks, Laura Pittman Ward, Torture Event. Michael King, I had a rat invasion several years ago. Drove me crazy. Ended up being obsessed, killing them. Like Bill Murray and Caddyshack. Dropped an axe on one of them at one point. I can beat that. Right? I can beat that. This is a true story, right? No. 
Back in the days, I gotta watch my time here. Right? Back in the days when I was kind of living on my own and stuff, right? I had a, I had a cleaning lady came in, right? Because I couldn't do everything, you know. And um, so I had a, a cleaning lady used to come into the house, and uh, she's very nice, very. I can't try to remember her name. A long time ago. Anyway, Elspeth was working here. Right? So, I'm through in the control room. Right? And this was when I had the cats, when I had um, Harley and Spike. And um, so, you know, back then, it's when I had the two cats. I had no mice in the house, which was great, but I also had no birds. <laughs> I had lots of dead robins, right? They used to, anyway. So, I'm doing the control room on the typewriter, on the keyboard, right? And suddenly the clean lady comes and goes, there's a rat. And I'm going, what? Right, and she goes, there's a rat. And it's, it's in the, 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 the wine rack, right? Wine rack? <laughs> in my wine rack? And I'm going, what do you mean there's a rat in the wine rack, right? And she goes, there's a rat trapped in the wine rack. And I'm going, and the wine rack's like a little kind of cage thing, and I'm, but it's got big holes, and I'm going, it must be a huge rat if it's trapped in the wine rack, right? And she's going, no, it's in the wine rack. And of course, the next thing is all like, oh, oh. And I went, I went, oh, shit. And I came through, right? And there's the wine rack, right? It's Like I said, it's only about two and a half feet tall and about a foot wide, and it's got a little gate on it, and it stood on four little metal legs, but yon height, right? There's a fucking rat in the bottom of the wine rack, right? And it's crawled in there, right? And it's kind of like, why is that rat in the wine rack, you know? And, it, you know, it's, it's been caught, like, you're eating something. It's like, oh, I'm eating now, leave me alone, right? And I'm going, why is it not kind of running away? And then I realised it was wounded, right? And it looks like the cats had kind of wounded it enough and kind of gone bored now, right? And I've got a bloody wounded rat. And I'm wearing my dressing gown, for God's sake. And my first thought is my bollocks, right? Because rats are like, it's that thing. And guys have always got that thing about, like, you know, if you're going to, it's going to run right up your leg, go for your balls. <laughs> you know, that's what they do. You know, because it's your weakest point, right? So, there's me in my dressing gown, right? Staring at a rat in the wine rack, right? That's still alive and, like, the whole story's true, like, you know, never call her a wounded rat, you know? And I'm going, phew. And so I went away and got changed, right? Because this rat was going nowhere, but it was it was obviously alive. It was still going, whoa, right? And, uh, and I went, I'm not putting my hands anywhere near it. So I came out and I had my trousers on and I tied, I put a wee bit of thing around the bottom end of my trousers, right? I'm ready for this bastard, right? I've got gloves on and everything, right? You know, it's like me and the rat in the wine rack, right? So, there's a rat, and I'm not going to put my hands near it, and I'm nervous about getting too close because it's going to go straight for my face, right? So I went, I need something long to kill it with, right? So, there was only one thing that was long and trusty enough and sharp enough to kill it, and I'll show you what it was, right? I decided to take on this rat, with this, 
No, I can't get for that. Yeah, you'll see it. The thing that says, it says attach the tent. I know it's reverse, right? It says attach the tent. That came from a West Island way, but it's like that is a spear. I got off a Zamburu warrior back in Kenya in about 1991, right? He really liked me and he gave me the spear, but that's another story, right? So, there's me with a rack in the wine rack. I've got a big fuck off spear, right? And I went, that's going to do for it, right? Because the spears, actually, I don't know if you could see the length of it, but it's over two meter long, right? So, <laughs> so, I get the spear and I decide to go straight for it, right? And I'm not a great spearman, you know? So it was like, you know, I'm kind of, you know, and the rat's only about, what was that size, right? But with a tail, right? But it was still a big body. It was about yawn, a body about yawn size, right? It could still give you a bollock a nasty bite, right? So I'm there and I'm trying to train the spear through the wine rack to get the rat, right? I went bang, right? And I fucking jumped and bam, right? And I, and, I, and I had it right between the shoulder blades and the bastard's still moving. And I'm going, fuck, right? So I had it round, round the back and, it, and it's like, and it's, it's going like fuck, right? And I'm going, I'm not going to let this go because if it was angry before, it's fucking angry now, right? So, spears down through it, right? So... I've gone, I can't let it go, and I can't like shout in the clean league, would you mind holding this spear in the rat for a bit while I go and get something to get a good dunt with, right? And I've got a knob carry, but it was above the door, right? But the nearest thing that I had in the house, now this probably makes this house sound like it's just full of lethal weapons, right? But I reached behind me, because behind me was a, a panang, right? Which is a sword. And I got this sword, from this captain when I was out in Brunei, when I was doing this jungle warfare thing, when I went out to work with the army for a bit and I went out, but that's another story. But this Panang belonged to this headhunter in Brunei, right? And it was actually used for cutting off people's heads during the war. And I've got it in the room, as you do, right? So the Panang's behind me, right? So I've got the spear in a rat. I'm reaching out behind me to get this Panang, right? And I managed to get it out and get it out of the sheath, right? And it's a big lump of metal, this thing, right? And I got the rat pinned there, right? And I managed to get it around. I give it a big buff dunt, right? And that done for it, right? And it was, uh, and that was it. That was me killing the rat story. So, like, you know, and then I had to carry the damn thing out, right? And the cats are looking at me going, yeah, that was good. <laughs> Yeah. Rats, I hate them. Victor Charlie. If you're listening, you're gonna die. Uh, right, it's 22. Where are we at? Victor Charlie, cooker. Uh, oh, yeah, questions. Oh, I'll give you another good one. There was a great question coming tonight, and I completely forgot about this, right? And it was like, it's John Lennon's birthday. This is from Scott McDonald. It's John Lennon's birthday. Do you have any Lennon or, or Beatles stories? Sadly, I never met John. I would He's somebody I would have loved to have met up with. He's a guy... I didn't like... I go into the Beatles 
I remember when I was, I must have been about eight year old. I mean, I remember my mum and dad had the Beatles parlophone singles, like, you know, She Loves You, yeah. And I used to play them when I was a kid, you know. One of the first Beatles singles I bought was in a, jump, in a church jumble sale thing in Dalkeith up in Buclose Street, in the halls up there. And I bought Lullaby the Kinks, and I bought We Can Work It Out and Day Tripper. That was the, that was the single. We, we can work it out. And I used to love that song. Use a day tripper, one way driver, yeah, one way to get, whatever it is. Never remember lyrics. But yeah, but I remember buying it. But the Beatles was kind of, it was, it was another generation, you know. By the time, the, when I was about 12 year old, that was when it was Hey Jude, and suddenly it was Let It Be, and then suddenly the Beatles were split. And I said, well, there's no point following in them, is it? So, but I listened to McCartney, and I used to like McCartney, I liked Wings. I loved the band on the run album. Red Rose Speedway was pretty good. Uh, Venus and Mars, I started to drift off. I think I think that was the last one, and then I forgot. But McCartney, I didn't really get into. And then it was kind of, and Lennon was kind of there, but he was always a bit. I don't know. He was, for me as a kid, he was a bit hard and you know, combative and stuff, and you know, and it was the hippie, the whole hippie thing. I didn't kind of get off on. It was it wasn't kind of. Yeah, I, I just didn't see Lennon until I got older. And then you discover Lennon, and then you see a whole different kind of angle in it all. And um, I really liked it, and I've, I've loved the writing and, and you know, the songs that he did post Beatles. I mean, I, I'm not a huge fan, but I'm hugely respectful, and the words and the attitude I loved, you know? And uh, anyway. But the thing with John Lennon was, he died on the 8th of December, 8th of December, he was shot at the Dakota Buildings in New York. And the news came through here on the 9th. And on the 9th of December, 1980, I was in a blue Comer van and we just loaded up everything that we owned from Metric Shaw's, right? from the house that Diz Minnett and I stayed in. Diz, you probably already know and you're aware of, was the bass player that joined Marillion. He was in Marillion until kind of um, beginning of 82, 81, I can't remember off the top of my head now. It was, um, but at the time, Diz had this blue comer van with stoned dome band and white hand painted on the side of it, right? It was with a flying saucer. It just said to the cops, stop us. Just pull us and smell the van, right? But we weren't. And that was the thing, it was really clean, right? But the van just had this, it was like, it was like cheese to a, a, a mouse, you know? It was like, you know, there's hippies in that van, right? So we're in the blue van. We were in Ettrick Shaw's, up, up at Etrick, which is near Ettrick Bridge, which is in the Ettrick Valley. The Ettrick Valley comes off Selkirk and runs down south. And I, I don't need any. It was, um, but we were moving and Diz was going to drop me off at, in Dalkeith and then he was going um, down south and he was going back to, he was going down to Retford and he was going to spend Christmas in Retford with his folks. I was going up to spend Christmas with my folks in Dalkeith and then we were going to meet up 
basically right after the first of January, right, we were going to meet up and we were heading to Aylesbury to join Marillion, right? But on December the 9th, Diz and I had loaded up all the stuff from the Ettrick Shaw's cottage, which was way up in the wild. I mean, it was something like a horror film. I mean, it was like, you know, it was where were there was werewolves up there, man, right? Uh, well, the sheep went missing, it wasn't our fault. But it was anyway. So Ettrick Shaw's loaded the Comer van and we were driving down this, the Ettrick Valley, which is absolutely beautiful. It's stunning. The Ettrick and Yarrow Valleys are still two of my favorite places like, you know, like in, in the world. I just love them. It's just, at the right time of year, and especially this time of year, it's incredible. But in December, we're still driving through golden, copper, red. You know, it was still a mass of broadleaf color. These avenues all the way up. And we're driving in the Comer van and the radio was on and all we heard were Beatles songs and John Lennon songs. And they were being played one after the other. Right, and we're kind of going, what's wrong? Right, it's, why is Radio One at the time? Why is Radio One playing all this John Lennon stuff? Not knowing and not thinking for a minute that the night before John Lennon had been assassinated in New York. Right, and that was—I always remember that moment where where Diz in the Comer van, you know, going along that windy Ettrick Valley, heading up towards the A7 to Dalkeith, and like you know, and the, the fact that Lennon died, and it was such a powerful hit. You know, and I think it was probably, you know, I mean, Elvis was never kind of, I mean, Elvis was Elvis, but Lennon was still kind of part of kind of my life, a lot more than Elvis was. So there was this kind of like, wow, and it was being assassinated. So that, I always remember with Beatles, I mean, as I said, never met him, but, right, he says, taking this in a completely different dramatic direction. I never met George Harrison, and I never met Ringo, I can remember. Um, but Paul McCartney, I met once, right? And we used to get, Marillion used to get invited to these EMI conferences. And EMI conferences were kinda where Everybody kind of from EMI came from all over the world, all the international ones, everybody came from all over the world. And uh, they meet up in a big swanky hotel and it costs a fortune and, and they invite bands and the bands come along and they schmooze with all the record company people. You know, it's, there's an international conference, right? And there's a kind of, there's an international conference and then there's a, oh, I forgot that, it's too late. There's an international conference and a, a kind of domestic one, right? And the domestic ones, it's all it's all pretty cool and all the rest of it. The international ones are always like, you know, fan dabby dozy, right? So the international ones are always kinda of Brazil. And you walk in and mean this is the president of the Brazilian records, this chairman of the head of sales, like, you know, Canada and things. And sometimes and you get the chance to meet up with a lot of people, like, you know, when you're when you were in the record company, when you went to Germany, you made friends I had a lot of friends in EMI Electro. It was a great wee company. And so the conferences, you get a chance to meet up with the guys all in the one place, which is kind of fun. And there's often bands, like the bands come along and get asked to entertain. We never actually did it, right? But it was uh, as part of the actual main kind of conference thing. But it was, uh, but it was always great because you used to get the up and the bands that were just signed to the label or whatever, and you know. So, but they were always a good scoosh. That was the thing, right? 
And it was a real party zone because everybody let their hair down and it was kind of like, yeah, you look. <laughs> I've never told you something. I've never liked you, right? All this stuff comes out. It's always fisticuffs in the bar at three in the morning. Huh? Anyway, so Marillion, we were all asked to go down to this conference and it was down in Brighton. And I can't remember the name. It was one of the big hotels right in the front. It might be the Grand, right? And um, and we were staying along the road. They'd put us up in a hotel along the road. And I th I'm trying to think what year it was. It must have been round about, I think, 86, maybe, right? It doesn't, the, the year doesn't really matter, right? Because, right? We went down there. And we all gathered, and um, we all gathered in, uh, in the hotel, right? And we decided to get ourselves a bit revved up before we went down there, right? So that we weren't going in straight, if you know what I mean, right? So, yeah. Uh, we all get, all the boys, the band, we were all together and we were all getting on dinner. Guinness and Oysters, I seem to remember. We were, well, I was. I think, I think everybody was in Guinness and Oysters. And we were a bit tanked up, right? But I do admit now, my lovely people, I was stoned out my gourd, right? I was absolutely wasted, right? And we're going along and I'm going, yeah, you my conference, this is going to be really cool. Right? Yeah, and you already got that kind of... Oh, yeah, up to the door, Dolan's there. Who are you, sir? Marillion. Yeah, oh, yeah. You walk in and everybody's going like, well, well. And you walk into the main hall, right? And it was just people coming up to you going like, you know, da-da-da, so-and-so's here, and like, da-da-da, meet him. And you're just, you're like a, you're just billowing around and around, just meeting people going, hi, how are you doing? And like, oh, yeah, blah, 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 da-da-da. And somebody came up to me and says, there's somebody you've got to meet, right? And I'm going, well, yeah, right, okay, that's cool, yeah, 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 just leave me anywhere, I'm ready, right? And it was like, I'm going, yeah, how you doing, da, da, da. And she turns around, she goes, fish, this is Paul McCartney, right? And I went, and it was like, and I'm suddenly looking at Paul McCartney, going like, <clears throat> complete, <clears throat> going, grab a hold of yourself, stay calm, don't show that you're stoned, right? All right, and he's standing next to Linda, right? And I'm going... Hi, Paul, how are you doing? And he puts his hand out and starts speaking Spanish to me, right? And I'm kind of going, it's only because you're stoned that you think Paul McCartney's standing there in front of you talking Spanish, right? And I'm going, and I'm just starting to have a whitey, right? I'm just starting to go like, I want to go away now. Please take me out of this place. Hi, Paul. Thank you. And Linda McCartney turned around and she, I'm, I will never, she was a lovely woman, right? She turned around to me, she said, look, she read, she knew. <laughs> she knew straight away. Right, I was wasted, right? And she turned around and she said, look, it's all right. She said, he's just playing with you, right? He's just playing with you. He said, he's, you know, he's, he's just speaking Spanish. He's just showing off, right? And I was like, <laughs> I was nuts, and uh, yeah, it was um, yeah, it was nuts. It was like, it was really nice to meet you. And I went away, went, what the fuck, right? But it was a great thing. And funnily enough, and this is a, this is what must be with these long subconscious kind of round the whole, round the link rabbit hole stories, right? But the person that was performing that night was Kim Wilde, right? And Kim Wilde was, was there with uh, her dad. What's his name? The, the Marty. The, the Marty, the, the, the Marty Wilde, of course. The 60s career. 
And it was, um, and it was like, I went up to say hello and stuff, and it was like, and she was kind of a bit worse for wear after. She was a very good, good laugh, right? But Marty was really protective. He'd be, you know, worse than I'd be ever with her. I mean, he's like, he's like, what do you want, right? And he's got, he's a tough guy, right? But this is the weird thing. This is the round circle stuff. Kim Wilde is a gardener. Yeah, she actually went for music and she got really into gardening and, and trained. And she's she's really, you know, full on at it. I mean, you know, knows she knows her, her, her onions, literally. So it's, um, yeah, so there you are. There's the Gardner's World Link. And did you see it? It's cool. I was quite happy with that, actually. But it was, um... Nearly empty. So that was my Beatles story. It's the only person there in Paul McCartney. And I never saw him again. And um, and I'm on the other link to Paul McCartney is because John Kelly. Oh, see, three-legged dog, three-legged dog's back. Yes. Bindi. <laughs> thing is, the, the dog's deaf, right? He'll come round. But yeah, it's so John Kelly who did Vigil in the Wilderness of Mirrors. Uh, he produced Paul McCartney's album. It was, I heard a couple of great stories about that, but that's another one. Right? Anyway, George Corner wardrobe malfunction, yeah, I know, my strap comes down, you know. Uh, Julie Bailey did vinyl versus love. I don't Smoke I did with Paul? No, but I did with somebody else though. <laughs> no, I can't. No, I'll I'll have to think about that one. <laughs> Rich Stone, cool man. Ray Lambert. Uh, Esther Pujol Rodriguez, come, we can try Spanish, German, and English. <laughs> Tony Erickson, Zoe Bell-Fillingham. Yeah, it's, I, Whitey, I don't mean that as a, a racist thing. It's kind of, it's a, people who under, will understand what it is. It's like, it's when the blood drains from your face, right? And everything just goes, <gasps> that's Whitey. It's got nothing to do with race. Yeah. <laughs> Stephanie Vermati, yeah. Reminds me of meeting God McInnes, reminds me of meeting Phil Linnett. Was deafened by the gig and I couldn't hear what he said. Well, that's nothing. Peter Lee, yeah, Steel Wet for Montgomery. Kim Well doing chocolate adverts. Uh, any rush tales? No, I don't have rush tales. People keep me saying, you know, that's what rush and stuff. Yeah, I, I don't have rush tales. It's like, I, I never really sat down and, and, and talked with the guys. So. Here she is, lady of the moment. <laughs> you want to come and say hello? This is the lady who's been working her ass off for the last two weeks and doing a brilliant piece of work. Hello. Yeah. Hello. How are you doing? Good. Oh. <clears throat> we're just about there. But Monday, we reckon... Reckon Monday we'll have all the pre-orders. We'll all be gone. Yeah, I do my best over the weekend. Don't make any promises. I've still got around 300 mixed orders to do. I decided to 
sorry, sorry. There's so many been so many delays with with mixed orders like remasters, t-shirts, yeah. sweatshirt, and things. But I, I had a little help last week, and I had to use this opportunity to get bigger batches out, so it was easier to print fifty uh, mm. labels for deluxes or whatever. Then she's done brilliant. Uh, absolutely brilliant. We, many, many orders are going about ten. Over ten thousand in two and a half weeks, is it? Ten thousand orders, mm. two and a half weeks mm. out of here, thanks to this brilliant lady, right? And the four cabin mice. Mm. I mean, that's pretty good going, and and we just we sailed it, didn't we? And, and as far as like, you know, we we just man, we sailed so close to the wind. It's like. The, the cabin mice, the guys, the packing team, they went just as the Lothians went in another formal lockdown, yeah. right on the edge of it. Mm -hmm. So when we call, our calls have been just, we've been really lucky. We're, we've just been so lucky with yeah. the timings. Just so lucky with the timings. You know, if all, if the entire album product had all come at the time, at the one time which it was supposed to do, it would have completely screwed us up. Mm. And because the vinyl, because the the, the, the the standards, and then the vinyl and the deluxes arrived at different times because of basically problems that happened in the production, they arrived at the right time for us to package and move them and the whole COVID thing just fell into the right places and Space-wise as well. And space-wise, we were really running out of space. It's like, mm. but we've done, we've done well. So we've done. So is it on tour? The whole the virtual with ten thousand albums. It's about ten. You mean, you mean all yeah, something like, yeah. something like yeah. It's about it's about ten thousand altogether. Something like that. ten, eleven thousand, mm. which is really good. It's brilliant. And for those of you who bought it, thank you very much. It's yeah. been brilliant, and. Um, you know, without your support, then, you know, I couldn't have made the album because it was like, you know, it's really been stunning. But it's, it's great. I mean, Feast, it, it's, this is, people have been asking about, you know, well, the, the, yeah, I'll, I'll bring you through in a minute, but we do, we want to, what's in the I freezer? Just, <laughs> no, I've just decided what I do. Oh, have you? Just, yeah. Oh, cool. But it was, um, yeah, it was, it's been a sea effect, you know. But everything's been kind of all and, and you know, we've had people asking about, um, you know, why is it not at retail? I don't want to put it at retail. I don't have to put it to retail, right? It's like, we keep it tight and we're letting it slow burn, you know. The album on last week, it was a phantom number nine in the UK national charts. It, we're not chart registered because, as I said before, we're not at retail. You have to go to retail to qualify for the charts. You have to go to Amazon to qualify for the charts. I don't do Amazon anymore, right? It's um, the kind of... this The Amazon deal is just... It sticks in my craw, right? I don't... I'm not happy. I'm not happy with it. I just go, you know, I don't want to deal with this. And all the bureaucracy and the paperwork and then trying to contact people. I mean, if anybody's out there as, a, as, an, as, a, as an Amazon seller, Right, the sales on Amazon, right? You know exactly what I'm on about. You try to get something answered, you get sent to a fact page, 
you end up on a fact page that takes you another fact page that takes you another thing that takes you right back and it says, please go to the fact page. You know where I'm at, right? And it's just, I just, we got sick of it. And we had a couple of big arguments with them way back, right? And now I'm not going to go into detail because it was it's boring, but it was, uh, it was obvious, right? Kind of what was needed. But computer says no. And we spent, I think it was eight months trying to sort this problem out because it fell down the cracks of what the computer software could deal with. And all I wanted to do was talk to one person to go, this is what it's at. And then I actually ended up talking to our person, right, that was a bit higher up the ladder. And I said, look, this is logical. And she went, yeah, it's absolutely logical and that's the way it should be. And I said, well, why can't you do this? Can somebody not talk to kind of like another next level up and go, can you please change this so it works properly? And I went, well, there's no point in us doing that. She said, because I've got to talk to da-da-da and he's got to talk to and he's got to talk to da-da-da. And by the time it goes through that whole process and a committee meets to decide whether that is a logical function to do, and then it feeds all the way back down the ladder. She said, it could be two years. And I'm <laughs> yeah, so anyway, so I don't, that's why I don't do Amazon. I don't like the percentages, blah, blah, blah. And it's like, oh, by the way, beware, right? If you're looking for my albums, right? Look for them on fishmusic.scot first, please. Because at the moment, we've got Kettle of Fish, right? A CD that we had stock from way, way back, right? I think we're selling it for three quid. On Amazon, it's 15 quid of some guy who's bought off us that's selling it on Amazon, thinking that, like, you know, somebody's going to go, ooh, a fish collectible, right? We've got tons of them, right? Or we did have tons of them. But it's, um, and Vigil, I think, I think I mentioned this last week, it's 140 quid for a Vigil CD, right? And all the remasters, all the remasters that you can buy from, from us, right? Of like the Rain Gods, Fellini, Suits, Remasters, blah, 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 Songs for the Moon, right? 45 quid on Amazon through some dealer who's buying from us and selling on Amazon. Nothing we can do about it. You just hope that whoever buys it, you know, is not going to feel, feel too pissed off when they go, oh, there's a fish website, right? So anyway, and the other one is, I don't, you know, I had some guy, <laughs> and a guy phoned me up and he said, well, why is it not available on HMV? I said, I don't do HMV. Because the problem, I, I used to, a lot of these, the big corporates, were, the big corporate dis, uh, distribution services and retail services really hit me bad with Dick Brothers. It was, it was, you know, the discounts you've got to give to them, you want to get advertised, you've got to buy in-store advertising, you've got to go with their advertising packages, blah, blah, blah. Then you've got to pay to send it all down to them. So you pay the freight down to them and it goes to their main supplier. And they have this thing called sale or return, which means if they don't sell them, they return them to you, right? And the other thing is you don't get paid for about 90 days, right? The payment's so slow. And you don't really know what you're selling to. And I just went, you know, I don't want to go down that route. I went down that route with Dick Brothers and I don't need to. I'm not trying to sell a million albums, but just selling albums, you know. And, you know, it's five quid for the UK. Somebody said, well, you know, why don't you put in the shops? Because it's five quid to get on a bus, get on a car to go down. 
And it was like, you know, and that's why we just decided to do it this way. And it's, that's why we're dealing with the, why I'm, well, Simone and I are dealing with the complaints and stuff. And it's like, we're able to deal with it. Like I said, the, the, damaged, the damaged sleeves that happened in the post, you know, it's like we, we, we turned it around, you know. We're not Amazon, you know. We it, Sometimes it takes a wee bit for us to adjust and, and get a new position, but it's like we deal with it. And it's like and the money comes here, and the money that comes here goes into paying for the album, it goes into paying for the promotion, and it's slow burn. And, you know, I'm not, there's a, you, I, I'm not interested really in chart positions, you know. I mean, to, to, to take an album to retail just to get a chart position, a chart position only lasts for a week, you know. And it's like, and as I said before, I mean, who remembers chart positions albums? I can't, I can't tell you what half the chart positions uh, the Marillion albums were. It's like, you know, people go, oh, so this now. I don't know. And it's, um, and it's like, the UK is supposed to be the most important chart in the world? Don't think so. It's, um, you know, if we just move albums. That's all we're doing. I'm not looking for chart positions, not looking for anything else apart from kind of just dealing with the way we deal with it on our terms. And that's why I don't go to retail. Independent record shops, I go into and I will buy second-hand vinyl in there, but I, I wouldn't go looking for a new album in, in, a, in, a, in, a, in a retail store, you know? And it's, um, and you know, the, the other problem is that, you know, with footfall and everything, I really appreciate. And, you know, yes, I understand there are people being employed in independent record stores and da da da, and I get that, right? I completely get that, right? And I completely get that the independent record stores have a, a very important function. But it's interesting to see how evolution has, has taken them. So now people are going in looking for second-hand vinyl and second-hand kind of, um, you know, uh, second-hand albums or kind of rarities and stuff. And I, I completely get it. But, you know, for me, it's like, you know, as I said, we've sold 10,000. Vigil sold half a million, right? And it's the way the industry is nowadays, because of Spotify, because of the digitised world, etc., etc., because of pirates and torrents and everything else. You know, that is the way it kind of, that's the way it goes. And um, I accept that. But, you know, please accept, this is the way we would like to sell and we want to sell, and this is the way we will sell albums, only through fishmusic.scot. Right? And um, that's it. And um, I'm really sorry if you can't get through H, you know, HMV or whatever, but you know that's kind of where it is, you know. So, uh, Amazon is only gift for Amazon. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> there was a great big rabbit hole just appeared in front of me, and I went, "No, I can't really go down that hole." Well, it's seven o'clock. Um, what will I do? Oh yeah, Jesus. Did I set up the right track? Oh, yeah. I've got to thank um, uh, the guys, guys at Audio Elevation. And um, after getting probably set up, I'll come back to you on that. The heat arrived. Could I put it in? Our, our, our. My knees are sore today. Oh, I know I've lost the bloody remote. This isn't this isn't a gag. Bollocks. <laughs> I know I should have done that. Oh there it is. <coughs>
Serious, it's not a gag. I actually do lose the F in remote. Right. And I can't remember which one's on. Can't go back on. What's in it? I can't even remember what I put in it. Open. Yes, it is that one. The thing is, <coughs> it was unbelievably close today between Manchmal and Great Unraveling. Seriously. It was like the votes were such that I, can't, I took a note of them somewhere. And uh, the votes were such. Well, there it was. When I went for it, it was 232 to 234. 234 was for Manchmal and 232 was for Great so, Unraveling will be up next week, so you can see what you want to do with it. But, Manchmal was picked. And, uh, where is it? One, two, three, four. Track six. Uh, done. Six is lined up. Manchmal. A German word. It means. What does it mean in English, darling? Huh? What's manchmal? Sometimes. Sometimes. And. Welcome to Farquhar Corner. <laughs> oh, darling, can I get another Erdinger, please? Yeah. Thank you. Thank you, Phil Miles. German. Phil Dank. Yeah. I love words. I love the sounds of words. Velchmelz. It. I, I don't know about you, but maybe it's just some sort of kind of weird, perversing with mouth movement. Velchmelz. Manchmal. It's um. <coughs> I like the sound of words, and um. And I came across this word, and I thought it's a great. You know, sometimes, and I went, that's a great title for a song, but in German it was even better. Oh, thanks, like babe. We've got favourite words, right? Come on. Oh, right. We've both got favourite words, right? I've got favourite German words, and uh, one of my favourite favorite German words, because I, I love the way the Germans join words together and things, and like they kind of build, they're actually like phrases made into words, right? But uh, I like tatsächlich. Tatsächlich. <laughs> What's that? Tatsächlich. Really? Yeah. <laughs> really? <laughs> no. And Simone has got favourite English words as well. Nevertheless. That's, that's <laughs> the big my one. absolute favourite. Nevertheless. Nevertheless. But it's the same, it's got a rhythm. Nevertheless, 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 you know. Yeah. Nevertheless, nevertheless. What other ones have you got? Um, I don't know now. She got me here. <laughs> Show them through when you get them. Oh, yeah. no, I've just totally screwed it. Well, Sorry, I screwed it up. Oh. I'm not normally a beer drinker. But, yeah, so um, when I came across when I came across Manchmal, I just went, it's a great word. I know sometimes Manchmal. And, uh, inquisitive. Inquisitive. 
You like that word as well? Yeah. What is it? Inquisitive. Inquisitive. Yeah. It's yeah. a good word. Inquisitive. Yeah. But um, I was out in Egypt. So I've got to go in a bit again. I'm gonna. I've got to do. I've got to do one of those past things. I leave this here now. Yeah. Thank you. It's. It's already. Yeah. Post. So, I was down in Egypt and I'd gone down there where previous relationship with Heather Finlay, right? and which was one of the worst holidays I ever had in my life. Not because of events, because of not because of what I was seeing, right? and the history of it all it was because of everything else that happened around it. Right? It was rubbish. Uh, and um, the thing was that I think being in the sun perhaps threw light on the situation a little bit more and there was uh, there was two question marks coming up in my head about things and um, and it was when I was there I heard the story of the turtle and the scorpion right? And the story of the turtle and the scorpion, if I get this right, it's a really ancient story. And I remember it was the guy who was our guide. We were on a boat going up the Nile. It wasn't quite Agatha Christie, but it nearly was, right? And um, we were on this boat, Luxor Cruises or whatever it was. And uh, it was, you, know, you went there and at night, you basically finished your meal and went through and the boat traveled, some traveled further up the Nile or whatever. And you went in the bar and spent a fortune on brandy, right? And uh, you didn't realise how much you'd spent until you got to the end of it. And somebody went, here's your bill. You know, bugsy. Right? And it's like, what the... <laughs> that many balls? Anyway, so at night, we'd all sit around and we could talk about stuff. And then it was... Um, and the guide was on about... He said, well, it's the story of the, the, the turtle and the scorpion. And I went, what story about the turtle and the scorpion? And... Um, and then he told me this this thing, and I went, wow. And it, it kind of rung a bell. And basically, it's um, the turtle and the scorpion are on the riverbank, and I think it, it was from the Nile. I think that was, that was why it was relevant. It was a story that it was an old Egyptian kind of folk story. The turtle and the scorpion are on the riverbank, and the scorpion comes up to the turtle and goes, I want to get to the other side. Can you basically, can you take me over? And the turtle goes, are you crazy? <laughs> Since you're a scorpion. Right? And the scorpion goes, no, no, it's all right. You know, it's cool. You know? It's, um, you know, if you take me across and you'll be fine. He says, no, he says, I know, I know what's going to happen. He says, like, you're going to you're gonna get on my back, right? And as we go across, across when I, you know, you'll, you'll stay with me, you'll, you'll kill me. Like, that's what you're going to do. And he goes, no, I won't. He said, why would I do that? Right? He said, why am I going to sting you? when you're actually taking me across the river, right? And he, it's like, you know, you, you, you're taking me across the river, I'm going to be grateful for it. Why am I going to sting you? If, if I sting you in the middle of the river, you know, we'll, we'll drown, I'll, I'll, I'll drown, right? And Tuttle's thinking about it and goes, yeah, okay, that makes sense, right? That makes sense. Why would you sting me in the middle of the river and, and kill yourself and me at the same time, right? And so the turtle goes, bam, okay, we'll do it, right? So the scorpion jumps in the back of the turtle and they go across the river and they get to the middle of the river and the scorpion goes, Phew. 
and sings the turtle. And the turtle turns around and goes, you know, why did you do that? Why would you do that? In the middle of the stream, why would you kill me in the middle of the stream? You're going to kill yourself. And the scorpion says, it's in my nature. Right? And when I heard that, I went, oof. Right? And when the Finley thing went down, that's when a lot of the lyrics started to kind of... They took on a different slant. You know, when I approached the album, when I was approaching the album, I was sailing up a very, very different river from the one that end I ended up on, right? And when I went up that river, I got washed very violently down and set sail in another one, right? And this was a song that was, that was born from the, the second journey, so to speak. And basically, the, the song is about trust, right? It's all about trust, right? And it's about going into relationships and always believing that, you know, this is going to be the right one. This is going to be the right one. And it's like, you know, this one's not going to f screw me over. Like, da da da, it's going to be all right. And it's a, it's in my nature. And this is Manchmal.
my sorrows And I'll drink at your shrine And smile Is that the way that you see it? Tell me how it should be It's time to choose between the devil and the Manchmal. That's from Thirteen Star. It's, uh, ah, like I said, I didn't listen to that. I didn't listen to that one today because I, I wasn't sure. Because I thought if Grey and Ravelin gets it, and I'm go I've got to listen to two songs now. But you, you made this yours. That was yours tonight. <laughs> yeah, it was. Um, but yeah, it's, it's and it, again, it's a German word. You know, the same as Weltschmerz. And the, the song ends, for those, you might not get this, but the Deutsche Versteht ganz alles. It's um, at the end, it goes manchmal, it was manchmal. Then it goes jedes Mal. And jedes Mal means every time. So it's sometimes, sometimes, every time. Cynical, yeah, but that was kind of how I felt at the time. And it was, uh, you know, as I said, you know, it's, it was kind of at that point. I mean, you've never been, I mean, the album shifted like that. And it just took on, I mean, and it's, again, it's, you know, I told you before about Long Cold Day off the Fellini Days album. It's just one of those songs that kind of, you've got a beautiful dynamic and, 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 and the emotion, because it's like you've got the sadness, you know, like, you know, is this the way you see it? Is this the way you feel? And manchmal. And you've got a sadness in it. And then you, at the same time in the chorus and the elegy, it's like, manchmal, manchmal. You know? And it just sounds great. I love it. And it's, you know, like I said, I hadn't heard it. And I know, I knew it was one of was Simona's kind of favourite songs at the catalogue. So it was, uh, yeah, it was, um, yeah, cool one. So, anyway, let's move on. Uh, 
Greg Haylock, Fish Shabby listening to Internal Excel a lot this week. Where did you make the video for this? Um, looks like you had a ball in the last minute of the video. Also been listening to Just Good Friends. You're done with Sam Brown. That's a song that should really we should maybe play at some point. Just Good Friends. In fact, I might put Just Good Friends up for a vote sometime. But um, but yeah, Internal Excel. Was, uh, I don't want to do the full story of the song because eventually... Well, I might be doing it. It depends if the remaster comes out as it's supposed to come out at some point next summer. I'm, I'm kind of like, I'd like to talk about it, you know, but then again, I really hope we're not kind of fishing Friday in the middle of next summer. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um. Yeah, February. You know, let's be honest. We know it's still going to happen, and I was. I need somebody to make a make a decision pretty soon. I know it's not going to happen. You know it's not going to happen. The promoter knows it's not going to happen, but the venues are still going. It might happen, right? And I'm trying to get somebody to make a decision on this kind of kind of quickly, because I think for the people that have all bought tickets, you should get your wedge back, and it'd be nice for you all to get it back before Christmas, but. There is no decision on it. I'm trying to get somebody to make a decision on it and you just have to trust me. But it's um, it's absolutely obvious. I mean, just looking at the, the, the rates and stuff and everything that's happening. You know, as I said, I mean, we got the cabin mice, you know, we had them here just at the right time, you know, for the right amount of time, just before the phase shifted again. And it's like we're going back into um, kind of that kind of stuff. But it's, uh, but, um, yeah, it's a pain in the ass. A lot of bit of water, Tilton Cross next week. I don't know what's up for the vote. Listen, for those of you guys, like, look, at the votes are really easy. I put the post up, and the first five posts after that are the tracks. I don't know whether it's something to do with your Androids or whatever, but if you're on a PC or whatever, all you have to do is go your oldest and come down from the top, and then you can, you can see the posts and, then you put, and put the likes on. Because there was two likes there between Great Unraveling and, and Manchmal. But I'm glad Manchmal made it. And like I said, I've, I've not... I don't listen to my stuff. And it's, it's, it's... Today, I should have listened to it. But today, I was I was dealing with loads of accounts and I had loads of invoices to send. And I had I was answering... To be honest, I was answering mails to people that have got... Some guys have got missing posts and things like that. So I was... <laughs> you were keeping me away from my job, right? But yeah, so I was I was working away, you know, the, you know, this you know dealing with it, and I completely forgot that you know I, this morning when I woke up, go away, Spotify. I'm getting a, I'm getting a message from Gmail with Spotify for artists, which is amazing. Over two hundred and fifty million plays, right, or two hundred fifty thousand plays, was it? Yeah, two hundred fifty thousand plays, which is pretty good going, you know. For an old prog rocker like me who wears dungaree. <laughs> well, Thomas McIlrath, any thoughts in the past on the Eddie Van Halen? I was asked, I got a, my press guy got in touch with me and said, um, do you want to do a eulogy to Eddie Van Halen for, kind of, it was for one of the BBC Scotland morning shows. And I went, you know, it's not me, you know, I'd... I, I, I liked Van Halen. I was a huge... Well, I, was, I was a huge Dave Lee Roth fan. I admired Dave Lee Roth and I really liked what he did as a, show, a showman and kind of, like, you know, 
the kind of rock and roll circus clown. He was great at it. And, you know, Jump in Panama, brilliant songs. But I'm not a guitarist, right? So I didn't, you know, yeah, I appreciated Eddie Van Halen and I thought it was blinding, but I don't, I don't hear a guitar, I don't hear guitarists like, like, you know, guitarists hear guitarists. And I didn't think it was right for me. There's a lot of guitarists out there could do, d deliver a far more, a far finer eulogy than I could ever deliver on somebody who I never met. I didn't, I never met Eddie. I nearly met, I nearly met Dave Lee Roth. Seemingly he came along a show we did in, uh, in LA, and I think it was 1987. And uh, um, I ended up with Chris Squire in my room, getting very, very drunk. And, uh, but that's another story. Was um, fishing the fish together, but um, but yeah, he came, he came along a gig, and I really wanted to meet him. And I stayed up in the hotel room till about four in the morning because I, I was told that he tends to come along late or early, depending on where you are on the clock. But uh, but he never showed up, so I was kind of gutted, right? But then again, I was a bit wild and wasted when yeah, at that point in the morning, very wild and wasted, in fact, and um. So I never met him, and I never, I, you know, I liked it. I mean, it's, it's strange that Frank Usher um, credits um, you know, that Eddie Van Hole, Eddie Van Halen solo on the on a uh, beat as being the song or the, the guitar solo that reintroduced him to uh, kind of playing guitar again, because Frank gave up playing guitar um, for quite a few years. And it was Eddie Van Halen, and I think it was Joe Satriani as well, because what happened was Frank ended up working down at a college and he, he was teaching guitar. And um, because he had to teach guitar to students, the students said, well, how do you do this? And they said, well, how does Eddie Van Halen do the beat, the beat thing? And Frank had to go and analyse it, and that's what brought Frank back into playing again. And, um, and that was before the Vigil album, because that's what happened when... Um, when we were putting the Vigil album together. Uh, I'd promised when I left Blue It, this is my Frank Usher story, right? Um, Frankie was, Frank Usher was paramount in me becoming a, a, a singer. He was a, an absolute, he was one of the fundamental points in my, my career. And that when I joined Blue It, B L E W I T T, depending, right? Um, there was a covers band and it was Frank after the first gig, which is well documented when I got blind and drunk because I was so nervous because it was my first gig and I ended up throwing up all over the wall of the Golden Lion uh, pub right? after the show because of the adrenaline and alcohol mix. right? It was Frankie that basically said to the band who wanted to kick me out, Frankie said, the guy's got something and we should give him another chance. And I never forgot that. And when I left blew it in uh, 1980 before I got on that van, that Comer van, before I went down to meet Diz and met up with Diz and came back to I was still doing gigs with, with, with Blue It when, when, when Diz was, was up. Diz and I were living in Ettrick Valley. And then when I left, when I said goodbye to Frank, I said, you know, if I ever go solo, um, then, you know, I wanted, I wanted him to be my guitarist to play on my first solo album. And it was one of those kind of throwaway things, you know, I never, it was something I meant. I mean, I definitely meant it, but you know, as this Marillion started happening, I mean, Blewett supported Marillion at the Playhouse in Edinburgh, right? And um, back in 82, 
we were supposed to be playing a double bill with Blue and Kelso. Uh, and that was the night that Mark Kelly's arm got dislocated because him and I had a bit of a play fight. And I, I was like moving my arms around and blocking Mark and stuff like that as he's coming at me. And he went like that and I went like that and his shoulder went like that <laughs> and it popped out. And we couldn't do the gig that night. So it was a Cross Keys Hotel in... Cross Keys Hotel, hotel in, Kel in Kelso. And because Marillion couldn't play, he, we had all the gear in. We'd actually done the sound check and everything. And Blewett came along and did the gig and I got up and sang with him that night. So it was the people came along to see a Marillion gig and saw me with Blewett. But, um, but Frankie, as I said, you know, we always kept in touch. He saw me, he came down to see me a couple of times and, and, and came down, I think he came down to a couple of London shows and we were always great friends. And then he joined, when he, when he came up here, when in, in this very place, in the, the room that's kind of ne next door, because this is all one big room, because this is the main studio floor, and uh, with a pillar in the middle. And on the other side, that used to be the original rehearsal room, which you will see on the documentary that Dave Barris has been putting together for the Vigil album, whenever it comes out, I'm still waiting, right? And, um... Frankie came in and uh, Mickey set up all his keyboards and stuff. And Mickey was, you know, he's a, he's a bit of a player. And he kind of took a little bit of umbrage at the fact that I was bringing this guitarist in who he had no idea of, right? And I said, we've got to give this guy an audition. And that was kind of where it was. It was like, okay, you know, Frank's got to audition and, and see if he works. I mean, I was longer in the tooth by then. And Frankie came in with exactly the same amp that he had way back when I last saw him and blew it, right? And he came in and he's a bit of a drag old with his guitar, the, the guitar that he he made and that he makes. He's a brilliant guitar maker. And, uh, and uh, uh, yeah. And he came in with this old guitar and were the amp and Mickey start, was starting, just have a, let's have a bit of a jam then, see where it goes. And Mickey starts playing this kind of like clever fancy pants keyboard part with all these arpeggios and things like that, right? And Frank takes the doobie out of his mouth, puts it in the neck of the guitar and just goes, Wah, and just starts to play like nonchalantly along with Mickey. And Mickey's looking at me going like, who is this guy, right? And it was brilliant. And Mickey was absolutely blown away. And that was how Frank joined the band. And, um, and Frank was in for, you know, a, a fair time after all that. But, um, but yeah, and it's sad because it's like, you know, it's, um, you know, I've just seen Frankie now for two years, three years. Last time I saw him was at a funeral or a mutual friend and he was there with other guys and I was there with other guys. And um, I tried to make contact, but it was rebuffed, let's see. It was, there was no real contact. And I've written a couple of times to Frankie and, you know, I don't know what's happened. I don't know what I did, you know, I've got no idea what happened, you know. I think, you know, it's one of the things with Frank, it's uh, Stevie Mance has had exactly the same issue where Frank stopped talking with Stevie because he wanted another bass player in the band apart from Stevie and I wanted Stevie. And I think that was part of the parcel of the whole thing. That and uh, we had a sound engineer who was one of Frank's friends who wasn't, you know, when the time we went from acoustic to electric, he was not handling the electric side and I got rid of him and I think Frankie objected to that which is fine you know, but it's um, Frank decided that him and I weren't talking and it's sad and I miss him and I'll always love him and I'll always be indebted to 
what he did for me and all the rest of it. But you know, so be it. It's uh, I've offered the olive branches, and so far they've uh, just withered away. But anyway, let's move on. Anyway, so that was it. But the thing was that I, should, that I forgot to add the, the, the kind of the tip ending. And the tip end in that story was that with Eddie Van Halen, it was when Frankie was was playing, when I, I went up to Frankie after he'd done the audition and after, because I walked up to him, I said, what happened? He said, well, I said, like, you never used to play like this. You know, you never used to play like that. And he said, the thing was, he said, because of that musician, the, the kid down in the college saying, you know, da-da-da, and he learned it. And that was why he got back into it. And that's why he spun round. And that's why he came to the audition and passed it and became my guitarist. And it still will, will always be remembered for the, the solo one cliche, which uh, he played down in London where him and I stayed during the Vigil album. But that is another story. It's 25-2. We're moving on. Ray Provost, Chris Squire, Legend. I only met him two, three times. Uh, I thought he was okay. Strange guy, big guy, but then again, aren't we all? Yeah, uh, Nicolaeo Cullen, uh, Simon Harvey. <laughs> Simon Harvey had my photo taken with Frank in Cardiff after the gig. Frank didn't do photos. I was chuffed. I didn't bloody come out. <laughs> Joe Watson, check out the shop. Oh, right, da, da, da. Gary Hindmarsh, George Corner. The Tate Hall still here, mate. The Tate Hall. Is that the Cross Keys? It's, um, uh, yeah. Simon Joe's hilarious Mark Kelly story. Uh, Phil Wood, I'm sorry to say it, but I prefer the more melodic style of Robin Bolt. Oh, well... You know, it was one of the questions. In fact, I think it's, I think it's still here. It's a... Uh, um, Graham Penny said, Fish, you have some amazing guitar players. What do you look for in a guitarist? Um, I think when I'm working with a single guitarist in the band and he's somebody that is stylistically incredibly flexible, uh... And he's somebody with a multitude of feels, and he's somebody who's technically good, who's great at doing lead guitar work, who's great at rhythm, who's got an understanding of acoustic and electric, and understands textures, um, you know, and and he's somebody that doesn't have an ego, and doesn't have an attitude, and doesn't have a problem of any kind wherever in, in, in that's going to affect his playing and stuff. And, you know, but I mean, it's, 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 it's the flexibility. It's, it's really, and that's the one thing about Robin Bolt is Robin Bolt's got, he's a brilliant guitarist in that he can, um, he can adapt from rhythm to lead very, very easily. John Mitchell's the same. You know, I mean, I've watched some, some really great guitarists. Frank was always more of a lead player. He was never too comfortable playing rhythm. He was always better in a twin setup. And he was very disappointed, and he was he was really disappointed when Robin left him and Frank took over lead for a while. And Frank you know, was very, you know, it's, it's exactly what I just told you earlier on about you know where people, you know, Frank can be, some people he can be a very awkward customer to deal with sometimes, you know, beautifully awkward, you know. 
And you know, if he doesn't like the, you know, when you when I was bringing in another guitarist to to play opposite him, it was really hard. And Frank would make it very known if he didn't like somebody and didn't like playing with somebody. And uh, you know, there was a couple of people came in at the band that Frank didn't like. And when Frank, as I said, didn't like people, it, it got a bit. You know, it, the thing was he never said anything, right? It just you know. Things were just uncomfortable. There was a whole feeling of uncomfortableness, you know? And nobody, and Frank never said, well, I don't like this guy, or can we get somebody else? And um, Bruce Watson was a guitarist that Frank loved working with. And, um, um, but Robin was, was kind of his, his favorite. And like I said, when Robin went, I mean, we had JJ Bell. JJ Bell was um, a little black guitarist we had. And he was a, a wonderful guy. Sadly, JJ passed away cancer quite a few years ago. And JJ came came into the band um, again to take over the single guitarist position. And he was brilliant at rhythm, but struggled with lead. You know, lead the lead parts. And I think the thing is nowadays it's a bit easier if I can find a guitarist that can work between the two, between a good rhythm and a good good lead setup, and can adapt to kind of both the areas well. Like really well, right? Then because we've got what we call Eric, we've got this Roland unit that we can basically put record 12 strings and Gavin, Gavin Griffiths, right? When Gavin hits Eric, when Gavin hits Eric, when Gavin triggers the sound machine, which make, on the rhythms, he can, he can trigger it. And so you've suddenly got a 12 string playing there. So you can sometimes, very often or not, or that's it, it does work. <laughs> somebody forgets to plug it in. It's what happens is that, you know, you can trigger it and you get a, a, the rhythm guitar part so the, the guitarist can play lead to the recorded rhythm, you know. And uh, it works. But, I mean, that is kind of roughly kind of where we're at. Where, where are we guitarists? I don't play guitar. I don't understand guitar. My mum my and dad, I think I told you before, bought me a guitar when I was really young and it was a Beatles guitar funnily enough it had the four faces of the Beatles kind of they were like melted onto this orange plastic kind of um, body right it was, it was a plastic guitar with nylon strings and it had their autographs on it <laughs> the Beatles autographs <laughs> and um, when I got as a kid it was like there because my, my dad had taken me up to a, a store I can't remember its name of up in the the, the West End of Edinburgh and the big guitar shop and the, they handed me this beautiful acoustic guitar, right? And I thought you just hit the strings and it played songs. <laughs> I still do. <laughs> and, uh, and I was guided. I was, I was, I think I was really, really upset. And I think that's maybe what turned me off guitars because I really thought that's what you did. I didn't really have to tune them. Tuning? <laughs> what, you go, what's the little sticks at the top for? <laughs> yeah, kid. So, as a kind of compensation, because my dad wanted to, wanted to give me a guitar for Christmas, I got this orange plastic guitar on Island Strings with the Beatles autographs and, and the Beatles faces on it in black. And uh, I think it lasted a day, and I sat on it and broke it, right? which is always... <laughs> See, it's, it's funny, like, when I'm talking to you, there's sometimes when I come up with words or phrases and they trigger off something else, right? It was... Uh, Robin, but anyway, that's another one. Where are we on? We're at 22. Um, thought I'd do a bit of vinyl again today. So 
I want to go back to a song. It's, it's been this was the one that was recorded for um, Parley with Angels, and I was really kind of I loved it, right? I, I really liked it, but it wasn't kind of there was something about it that just wasn't kind of quite on the button, and it was um and at one point when we were looking at the single album, it was like, well, the one song that was tagged for, okay, you know, if we're going to move, if we're going to move one of the tracks or leave a track off, and I didn't want to leave Waverly Steps off. And it was like, well, we could always put it on the Blu-ray. And I just felt it was like, it was, I, it was, it was, I felt it was being really unfair to it, right? And I, I, I was, and I'd said to Callum, you know, we want a remix. And then when Callum started doing the mix sevens, when Callum was hitting the mix sevens on, on the, the stuff that was recorded in 19, it was like, wow, his mixes were brilliant. And I said, you know, you have to mix, remix the Parley with Angel stuff. And this remix is so good that people have been commenting on it and saying, like, they think it's been re-recorded, right? And it's not. This is actually the original recording from 2018 that has been absolutely rethought as far as a kind of, as a, a, it's been rethought sonically and, and mix-wise. And when, when Callum delivered the, um, the, re, the, the remix, the kind of, the, the 2020 uh, mix of this, it's like, I was just blown away because I went, this is how I heard it right at the start. This is how I heard it. And, um, and I really lo I love it now. It's got a great dynamic. And that was why when I was choosing the tracks for the album and, and when I was actually putting all the tracks in place to design the roller, the roller coaster ride that goes across the two discs, both the vinyl and the CD. It was like, you know, where did Waverly go? And I always thought that with Rosa Damascus, it was, that was too obvious, you know, and I didn't really want, I didn't want Rosa Damascus to end the album. If I felt like it was a statement to go in this, in this, as a centerpiece in the middle, right? And then it was, it was when, it moved, when I, my thoughts moved on and it was like Waverly ends it and then when I heard Callum's you know the 20 mix like I knew that it had to go at that point but I didn't want to end it just where Waverly steps that was why I put Velchmelts right at the end because Velchmelts was the perfect kind of punctuation mark it was the kind of you know that last bit before you walk out the movie and this is this is kind of like you know this is where it's at. This is what happened to the character, right? This is the guy on, on the, you know, in the depression and that thing. But Velchmerz is, is the positive. Velchmerz is the anger. Velchmerz is the light. This is the declaration. And But Waverly just fell so perfectly, you know, and in that, you know, penultimate, you know, track position. And um, without further ado, ow, my knees are killing me. It does now. Oh. Disc up to speed, Captain. I'm just moving the thing on. Oh, this is a bit of heat. Waverly Steps. And the back of the train, he stares. 
seen The curse of lies, a testament of heat The dogs of war will gather The liars lose true chains To strip him off his dignity And tar him with a blame
Weary steps from the new album Veltrots by the artist Doris Fish. Yeah. That was the lineup was very different back then as well. Back in 18 when we recorded that was Dave Stewart on drums and uh brilliant solos. Robin Bolt on guitar and Foss Patterson playing out of his harp on that keyboard solo. It was just beautiful. Your fours just go in that kind of real proggy vibe. And, and that's kind of, that's it. My screen's not kind of HD at the moment. Who gives a damn? Because it's over now. Um, and so, another Fishing Friday goes by. Another week. A ch tempestuous, tumultuous, tormented week sometimes, but we got through it all. Uh, the plasterboard will be fixed. Um, the rats will be dying. Charlie will be thrown out of the perimeter and it shall be uh, restored. Um, the forest of cardboard will be heading off towards the recycling bins. And, um, and we're here. Simona, my darling. Love of my life. What's for dinner tonight, Simona? For dinner? Uh, I don't even know it, so I've got no idea. No, to... I, uh, chili con carne. Oh, what? Yeah. From the... I had no other idea. <laughs> Is the chilies from the greenhouse? Yeah. We've got some ser serious chilies in the greenhouse. I tried, I tried to take the camera, I tried to take the, the phone out there, but the signal just gets so shitty. And it's, um, uh, but we've got chilies with some serious chilies. I'll show you something. Yeah, brilliant. So mum, my mum gets, she gets the mild one. Yeah. And then, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then I get, well, we have the very hot one. Are you having a very hot chilli tonight? Huh? Are you having a hot chilli tonight? No. So it's just me? Because I can't be. Oh, yeah, I know. Um, uh, yeah. So, yeah, someone who loves chillies, but tonight's having, having to lay off this week because of um, too much caffeine and... Too much stress and stuff, you know what that causes. So uh, we're being very careful at the moment. But that's it, because this should be, it has been incredibly stressful. And I've, I want you to just do a little round of applause at the end of tonight, you know, in your own house, just to thank Simona for doing what she did, because she had to master so much to make this happen. And she's dealt with so much grief and just technical blah. Right? And she's handled it brilliantly. And as I said, we're in the foothills. I know she doesn't want me to say it because she doesn't want to make promises, but it's like, I trust her. And we will be working all weekend, f getting the rest of the foothills trumbled down and then moving into um, um, the next set of mountains. Um, it's going to be interesting. And so Friday ends. Um, we're sitting here in the Lothians, Pubs are shut, and I feel sorry for all the guys that are working in the pubs and, you know, for pub, what, restaurants and all that. It all comes down to the same thing. It's like, you know, um, track and trace. If you're in Scotland, please sign on to the Scottish Government app. Um, there is going to be a circuit breaker com coming up and things, you know, to try and get things back to normal again because we have rushed up in the last kind of week or so and the infected ratings and the people that are sadly in hospitals, the numbers have gone up and it's a worry, you know. And um, the other worry was, I was listening to the news the other day and what I was telling you before about, um, you know, maposepsis kind of condition and, you know, they're now identifying something that has got the nice line of long COVID, which is basically people that have caught 
the coronavirus that have not been in hospital necessarily and you know maybe just recover from home they're suffering from terrible exhaustions and muscle and joint ache and are absolutely fucked and i said before that i think people should be you know putting this message out a little bit more as well because it's not just a case of catch COVID and if you don't end up in the hospital on a ventilator or, or like whatever you're going to be okay and uh you know we don't have the we don't have the presidential facilities that some people have you know to be able to like have loads of cures and we don't want to overload the system and this is it it's a day we're coming in a dangerous point now right across the uk where it's like you know we've got to be careful otherwise we're going to go into another kind of quasi meltdown so it is a case of wearing a mask i mean i don't know why people get so like, I'm not wearing a mask, you know, why am I going to wear a mask? You wear a mask because you protect other people and you also protect, go protect yourself. And um, it's the same with washing hands and staying in distance, you know, we have to do it. We don't go out, we, you know, we, we stay here. Like I said, we've, we've, we've got through, a, we've run a gauntlet in the last two weeks with the, the orders. And we've been very, very lucky to get them out. But the bottom line is, you know, next week I will probably be telling you about what's happening or not happening in February. And um, and that is the state of play at this moment in time. Until the R rate comes down, the stages will remain empty and the tour bus will remain parked up somewhere in Colne until things change. And at the moment, it's not looking like they're changing. And then until people take some responsibility for their own lives and start dealing with common sense regarding this whole issue, it's still there and it's still bad. And going by figures, I hear from friends in Holland and everything recently, you know, it's gone as bad as it was. It can be stopped, and that's the positive thing. I think common sense, common sense, common sense, and some civic responsibility, um, social responsibility, goes a long way to help him. But this is me. I'm signing off. <coughs> Friday's come to an end. Scotland are in the final of the European Championship qualifying whatsoever. I don't know what it was. We won in penalties. God knows how. I watched it last night, and I was just waiting on the one to go over the bar. But it didn't, and we got through. So congratulations, Scottish Scottish football team, and uh, and Hibs for beating Brewer Rangers three one. Wow, you know. <clears throat> Another thing, the end of the week is here. It's Friday. Enjoy yourselves. Have a wonderful weekend, and I'll see you all uh, next. Or you'll see me next Friday. Until then, take care, stay alive, and thanks for being out there for us. Okay. <laughs>